a series in the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. Uh, my name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It's great to have you here today. We are in the third week of this series in Exodus where we try to see and find our story within their story. So a couple weeks ago, we, we began the series and we talked about how the, the Israelites were in bondage and slave to sin in Egypt and how we see ourselves in that story because we also are born into sin and the consequences of that and the pain of that. Last week, uh, Josh was here and he talked about uh, how God took a, a damaged goods man named Moses and overlooked those things or at least dealt with those things and used him in a mighty way. And the phrase we came up with last week was, was this, that uh, we may let our limitations define us, but God doesn't. And Moses was letting his limitations define him. He had murdered somebody. He had run from the country for 40 years. He was in hiding away from that country. And God said, I, I, I know that's a limitation that you put on yourself, but I've got a bigger plan for you, and I'm going to use you. Moses then said, well, I don't speak very well. I'm, I'm yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm the guy. And God said, oh, no, no. Don't let your limitations define you. I've got huge plans for your life. And I think I can read myself into that story as well. That I oftentimes think that, the, that my past will define me. My limitations are in my, you know, they're with me forever. And God says, no, 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 I've got, I've got plans for you that are way bigger than, than you could ever imagine. This week, we're going to continue looking in Exodus. And we're going to watch how God delivers Israel from the bondage of slavery. And he's going to do something big, something fantastic, something huge. And the method he uses to free them, he could have chosen any method. He's God. But the method he uses to free them fascinates me because <laughs> it's very easy for us to read our story into what he did. He, he, he kind of took his gloves off and... and went after the Egyptian gods and goddesses and ultimately says to them in, in not this simple a term, but in ten plagues, I'm bigger than you. Oh, I'm God. Yeah, oh, remember. So let's, let's dive into the text because it's, it's really going to be fun. Um, Exodus chapter 5 is where we're going to start. Uh, Moses has this debate with God. God says, I want to use you. Moses says, I don't want to be used. God says, no, I'm going to use you. He says, I don't think I want to be used. God says, I'm going to use you. Okay. So Moses and Aaron, his brother then, are told, you need to go to Pharaoh. And you need to walk into Pharaoh's court and you need to speak to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, Moses has some history in Egypt. Remember, Moses killed somebody in Egypt and then fled for 40 years. Moses probably is related to Pharaoh. Awkward. Because, remember, the, the princess found Moses, adopted him. He was raised in Pharaoh's court. So I don't know, it, the Bible doesn't say that, but I, if you go to Sights and Sounds, they were brothers. <laughs> but that's, that's not in the, in the Bible. But um, there probably was some connection there. So, as we bring uh, Exodus chapter 5, uh, here's, here's what it says. Verse, verse 1 says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is this? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? <laughs> I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Okay, that's a pretty normal response, okay? Pharaoh's sitting there, two guys come in. They say, oh, just, just so you know, we've got this God. His name's Yahweh, the Lord. And just so you know, he wants you to let his people go. <laughs> Pharaoh, Pharaoh basically says, I don't know who you're talking about. And I can't think of any logical reason why I would want to obey him. <laughs> so no. <laughs> Pound sand. Now, Pharaoh was not saying, I don't believe there are other gods, because in, the historians tell us that in Egypt, the Egyptians had over 114 gods. So he, he was fine with there being other gods. He wasn't saying, oh, no, no, we've got our own gods, there's not any more. He was just saying, I'm pretty sure that this guy you're talking about that you're saying is a god, he's not, he's not powerful enough to tell me what to do. In fact, in, in, in Egypt, Pharaoh was seen as a god, and Pharaoh was worshipped. Well, now you're telling me you've got a god that's, more, that's superior to all of my gods and superior to me, and you want me to obey him? No way. I'm not doing that. So it wasn't, does this god exist? It was, why should I obey him? And let me hitch this to us right away. That's what we do. We're a lot like Pharaoh. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second, I'm not like Pharaoh. I don't make my children worship me. Okay, probably not. But we do the same thing Pharaoh did. Pharaoh's question, why should I, why should I obey God? What makes him know better about my life than me? We're subtle about it. But we do it. I know better than God. He's meddling in my business. I know what God says about sex before marriage or outside of marriage. But that's antiquated. Who does that? That's ridiculous. I know better. I know what God says about lust. I know God says, you know, don't look on a woman, don't look at a woman. And, and, but... But that was before Netflix. And so there are many, many people who call themselves Christian who would say, I can watch a little nudity. That's fine. Okay, well, well what are you doing? You're, you're just not obeying God. You're, you're being Pharaoh. That's what we're doing. We're saying, who, who is this God that, that I should let him meddle in my life? Why should God be able to tell me how I could talk? Why should God be able to tell me that, that do not let any unwholesome words come out of my mouth, but only what's profitable for building others up? What if I want to tear somebody down? What if I want to swear a little bit? If you worked at my job, surely you would understand you have to talk like that, otherwise you don't get any respect. Okay, what are we doing? We're being Pharaoh. Who is this God and why should I obey him? I, I see us. I see followers of Jesus in this story. And it's a, a bummer. <laughs> but I think we ask the same question. Who is the Lord? 
that I should obey him. Moses continues. So in Exodus, Exodus chapter 6, then, verse, verses 6 and 7, it says, um, God says to, to Moses, um, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Okay, let me stop just a second. <laughs> 430 years the Israelites have been slaves to sin, or have been slaves in slavery to the Egyptians. So they know nothing about freedom. Now you've got these two yahoos, Moses and Aaron, coming in and saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. Oh, those people. And the Israelites are saying, who? Us? You're going to what? You're going to free us? How many Israelites were saying, who is this God and why should we believe him? So God sends Moses and Aaron to talk to the Israelites. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you. And I will pay the, penalty, pay the price for you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And chapters 7 to 12 in Exodus then go through a series of 10 plagues when God shows up in Egypt, kind of wrecks everything, and makes it very clear that he is the one true God. But he doesn't just do that so Pharaoh could tell that he's the one true God. He doesn't just do that so the Egyptians could tell he's the one true God. He has to also do that so the Israelites recognize that he is the one true God. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to read all of chapters 7 to 12. I wish we did. I'm not that fast a reader. But I really, really encourage you to get out the U version, click play, and listen to it. Um, it's an amazing six chapters, 7 through 12. Discuss it in your small groups this week. Talk about it. It's, it's incredible text. But I am going to hit some high points just, just a few of the plagues. So a couple examples we'll, we'll, we'll hit and we'll, sh we'll see what God does. Plague number one. So the first thing God does is he says we're going we're gonna to turn water into blood. So Exodus 7, verse 19. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds, all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt. Even in vessels of wood and stone, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. <laughs> he raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink the water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. All right, plague number one. So, just so you have your context right, Moses shows up in front of Pharaoh, says, hey, all these people, yeah, you got to free them all. A couple million people. Okay, you just got just to cut them loose. Okay, because God says so. Pharaoh says, who is this God, and why would I obey him? Moses and Aaron go to the Israelites, right, and say, hey, just so you know, God, Yahweh, you've heard of him. Okay, remember back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there, there's a lineage. Okay, that God is going to show up. 
and he's going to free you. And they said, we don't know what freedom is. Don't worry. He's going to do it anyway. And he's going to show that he's the one true God. Now we've got the first, I am a superior God. This is a significant plague because the Nile River was, it was really the economic and probably um, agricultural center of the entire region. Everything flowed through the Nile. Okay. That's how you watered your crops. That's how you ate fish. That's how you washed your clothes. That's how you bathed. It was significant. It was also significant because there was a Nile god, the uh, goddess of happy. I know, can't make this stuff up. And she was to provide fullness of life. She was the goddess of the Nile River. There were several goddesses of the Nile River, but, but happy was one of them. I have a picture of her. She looks happy. Um, <laughs> they sacrificed to happy. They worshipped happy. They wanted fullness of life, and they believed that this goddess, happy, gave them fullness of life because of that river. Well, now God has shown up, Yahweh, the one true God, and he made things not happy, right? I mean, he, he kind of just messed everything up. I think he did that because he wanted to show that the fullness of life, what we desire, it only comes through him. It doesn't come through happy. It doesn't come through a goddess of the Nile. Oh, no, no. God's saying, I'm the one true God. Oh, you have that goddess, fullness of life? Yeah, boop. Okay, now what are you going to do? She's a fraud. Oh. And once again, I think, well, we, we go through that too. You and I, right? We start thinking about what brings us fullness of life. Now, like I said, we're not that forward. We're subtle. But don't we sometimes think, oh, you know, if I just, if I just had a, a million dollars, oh, that'd be fullness of life. I, I'd be really satisfied then. Boy, if I, if I just had that spouse, or if, I just, if God just allowed us to have 19 children, or if I, if I just, I just made that up. I don't think that brings fullness. Um, <laughs> you know, you think about what brings fullness of life, and we start running down these bunny trails, and before we know it, we forget that God is the God of the fullness of life. It's not the junk that we make as idols in our lives. We're, we're very similar to the Egyptians in that way. And God loves to step into our lives and remove those idols and say, no, no, no. Why are you trusting that? Brett, that's not what brings you fullness of life. You think, you think your creativity is bringing you fullness of life? Shame on you. God says, I'm that, God. I bring fullness of life. I, I am reminded that it's, it's merciful for God to do that. It's not a punishment that God shows up in my life and, and shows me those things. It, it's his mercy because he knows that as I trust other things in my life, they will destroy me. They will hurt me. God knows that. It's in his mercy. He's protecting me. He's protecting you when he removes those idols. So God systematically removed the idol happy and said, nope, I'm, I'm the fullness of life. I'm the author of life. I, 
I bring fullness of life, not that goddess. Oh, by the way, here's blood. But God's not not done because Pharaoh says, I don't believe it. Bring it on. So the second plague, we read in Exodus chapter 8 that God sends frogs, not just a couple frogs, millions of frogs, and frogs are everywhere. (laughs) There is a reason because there was a a goddess, uh, Hecate was the frog goddess who brings fertility and fruitfulness. Well, I guess they had fruitfulness because they had frogs. And it says they were in their kitchens, they were in their flowers, flour, they were in their bread dough, they were in their beds, and they drove people bonkers. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But another god checked off the list, a false god, that Yahweh, the one true God, said, no, I got that too. God continues in uh, the third plague where he brings gnats. Gnats, oh, you know how gnats are, right? Oh, they just, they, I don't know why, but they like to fly in my eyes. I don't know what's in my eyeballs that they like, but they just want to get in there, and then they go to the corners, and then they are stuck. Gnats. Okay, just imagine gnats so thick that you couldn't see. Like, they're just everywhere. But God did that because there was another goddess, Set, the goddess of the desert, who was supposed to provide comfort and peace for the soul for the Egyptians. Well, how much comfort and peace for the soul is there when there's a billion gnats flying around? None. You know, you're trying to play, and, and the gnats are all over the place, and so you're holding your hand up in the air trying to keep them, or you're ducking. Well, I'm short. I just stand by a tall person, hoping that they just fly around their head. They're miserable. There is no peace and rest for the soul. But God made it very clear that he, he, was, he was the one true God. And it's interesting, in this, in this plague, um, the Egyptian magicians recognized that this was something different. And, and they said, uh, they were in Pharaoh's court, and they told Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. What, what they used for the word God there was Elohim, but they were basically saying, <laughs> okay, we're dealing with a different kind of God. The God that, that's sending these plagues, Pharaoh, he's more powerful than we are. Like We, we have nothing. We, we cannot stop it. I don't know who he is, but we're dealing with a supreme God, a God that is more powerful than all of our gods. But Pharaoh didn't care. He said, no, it's a lot of slaves. I'm not letting them go. Over and over and over and over, God demonstrates this superiority. And supremacy, he shows the supremacy over all of these fraudulent gods. So then flies. So, so water to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock dies, boils. I mean, it, it gets worse and worse and worse for the Egyptians. Hailstorms come, and, and this was a hailstorm like no other hailstorm, and you would think that they're getting the picture. But they're not.
I wonder, I wonder sometimes if God sits up in heaven and says, ah, oh, how, Brad, how much am I going to have to do to show you my power? Like, why do you doubt? How, how much is it going to take? I've been so faithful. I, I've done this and that. Like, what is it going to take? I've given you the Bible, which has all of these incredible examples of my faithfulness. And I, I, I wonder if he was thinking that with the, with the um, Egyptians. What is it, what is it going to take for me to show my supremacy in your life? <clears throat> Romans 1 says uh, that God's revealed himself to us. We are without excuse. We, we know. He, we should know that there is an almighty God. Um, in, in Psalms, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glories of God. And, and yet, we don't always get it. I, I wrote down, he even shows up in other ways. Every time someone hurts, every, every time someone hurts you and you cry or get angry, every time you despair in your loneliness, every time you turn to someone or something else for happiness or fulfillment and are let down, every time money fails to soothe the long, longing in our hearts, Every time our children disobey or ignore us, every time our best laid plans don't do for us what we had hoped, God is there. He is showing us that those things make terrible gods. And they will let us down. He is the one true God and he does not want to be competed with. And yet we immediately turn back to those things over and over and over. Well, this time it'll bring me satisfaction. Well, well this time it'll bring me hope. Well, well this time it, it doesn't work. Moses goes back to Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 10, the eighth plague. And here's what it says in verse, verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went back to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left from the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians Something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land until now. And then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. So Moses says, just so you know, buddy, this is what God says. Locusts are coming. They're coming tomorrow. Okay, 24-hour notice. What do you want to do? Verse 7, Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man, Moses, be a snare to us? Let the people go so they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? So Pharaoh's own advisors now are saying, please, have you looked out the window? <laughs> like, it's bad out there. <laughs> right, it's really bad. And every time Moses comes in and says something's going to happen, it does. We can't do anything about it. We're powerless. 
How long are you going to hold out? Stop. Pharaoh did not relent. And we read in verses 14 and 15, they, the locusts, invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. God's serious. I am the Lord, the God of everything. I am the supreme God. I am Yahweh. Obey me. Who is this God? Why should I obey him? Once again, God's systematically confronting and destroying every idol in Egypt. And it's what he does in our lives too. He, he goes to great lengths to give me clarity of thought because he wants me to see the idols that are in my life. He wants you to see the idols that are in your life. In fact, that's the first point of, of today's message. God will destroy every idol to show me that he alone is God. He, he will destroy every idol in my life. And you might say, I don't have idols. Oh no, it's anything that we put ahead of God. We all have idols. Anything I prioritize ahead of God is an idol. It can be work. It can, it can be good, good things. It can be family. It can be children. It can be money. It can be work. It can be play. It can be hobbies. But it's anything that we put ahead of God. It's frightening when I think of that because I can, I, can, I can think of many things over the years that I've put ahead of God. Um, oftentimes for me, it's my own comfort. And I just, I, I, I'm, God wants me to feel good, right? God wants me to be happy, right? Oh no, I am the Lord your God. I want to be number one. God does not want to compete for my affection. And God doesn't want to compete for your affection. He wants to be your God. I am the Lord your God, he says. Paul says in, uh, in Philippians 2, verses 9, and 9, 10, and 11, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. One day, every idol in your life and in my life will be exposed for what it is, and ultimately, every knee will bow before Jesus and acknowledge that he alone is God. And we will stand before him and worship him. Because God will ultimately destroy all of the things that we misprioritize in our lives ahead of him. Not because he wants to cause 
disaster in our lives because, but because he knows that those things will hurt us. He does know what's best for us. And his plan is better for my life than mine is. The second thing God wants to do, not only does he want to destroy every idol in my life, but, but God desires to bring me out of slavery and into worship. The, the very reason why God wants me to not be a slave to sin or to idols in my life is because he knows that we were made to worship him. He wants our hearts. He wants to be first priority. And he destroys the idols just to show me that he alone is God. Now, I don't like it when he does sometimes. I, I resent it, but I shouldn't. It's, it's his, his mercy that he's saying, oh, no, no, I know where you're headed. It will lead to disaster. Let me step in. And I don't always like that. There's a tenth plague. And the first nine plagues were just an opening salvo to this tenth one. And <clears throat> Exodus 11, things you might think can't get any worse for, for the Egyptians, they can. And here's what it says in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Verse 4, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. God sends Moses with a, with a message, and the message is, sin has consequences. There is a payment that is needed, and it is death. And, and sin is not a respecter of classes, socioeconomics, it's not. Sin, sin is not a respecter of those things. Sin brings death to the Pharaoh and to the slave girl at the hand mill. Egypt is about to experience that the wages of sin is death. But God in his grace is going to give a way out of escape from death. And so he instructs Moses to go to the people and talk about a lamb that can be sacrificed to, to not cause, to, to keep them from the death of their firstborn. They're supposed to kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost of their house. Here's what it says in chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then, then they are to, so God's telling Moses what, to, what the children of Israel are supposed to do, the Israelites. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the top of the door frame of the houses where, where they eat the lambs. Verse 11, this is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. There it is. God is just wiping out the 114 gods and goddesses of Egypt because he is the one true God. 
Um, I will bring judgment on all the gods of, of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So the tenth plague, the final plague was coming, and God was going to send an angel of death to Egypt. Payment was going to be made by the Egyptians' lives in order to release the Israelites from the bondage of sin. You know, the same death of the firstborn was going to affect the Israelites as well. This wasn't just an Egypt thing. This was an everybody thing. And so because of that, and because the plague couldn't be undone or reversed, a lamb would have to be sacrificed and blood would need to be spilled and spread on the doorposts in order for the Israelites to escape the same judgment. I think about that and I think about our story. And I think about the blood that was spilled for us through the death of Jesus Christ. In the same way, the freedom from my sins and your sins required a payment as well. But God did not ask you or me to pay it. He provided a lamb, his son Jesus. The lamb of God died on the cross and his blood was spilled to pay the payment for my sins and for yours. We're going to celebrate that right now.